Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Steady Diet from the 1991 album, of course, Steady Diet of Nothing, is Alex Mitrani, a Fugazi fan from Newcastle, living in Santiago, Chile. Alex, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm quite well, thanks. Over the course of doing this podcast, I know I've mentioned Pablo Neruda a couple of times, but I think that's about as close as I've gotten to talking about the nation of Chile. Uh, What's going on over there? It's been an interesting couple of years because there was a big social upheaval towards the end of 2019 with massive demonstrations and um, there were fairly fairly severe um, human rights abuses committed by the, the police towards protesters. There were quite a few people who lost their eyes or, or had their eyesight damaged by rubber bullets. Damn. It was a, yeah, so that was pretty, that was a pretty tumultuous period. And that's actually that one of the ways they tried to find their way out of that was they've, they've started a new, um, they've started the process of writing a new constitution. Oh, they've called a constitutional convention? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, a constitutional convention started. It started a few months ago, but they've they've spent a few months setting up, um, defining the various rules and regulations that are actually going to govern the process of writing the constitution. And they've only recently started the process of actually trying to write the constitution itself. Wow. And it's yeah, it's it's been a fairly polarizing and. Yeah, it's been a fairly polarizing process, they were, they, and it's it's not yet clear whether they're actually going to succeed in changing the, con- the constitution. Because there was a, there was um, uh, what do you call it when there's a popular vote on something? Um, a referendum. A referendum. There was an initial referendum to decide whether to start the process of writing a new constitution, and there's going to be a referendum at the end to approve the new constitution. Get the new constitution defined. They need to write it within the agreed time period, and then they need to pass the referendum to approve it. Man. But if all that goes well, then there there will be a new constitution. That's amazing. I was totally in the dark about that. It sounds so amazingly complicated to to do something like that, and to the amount of compromise you need to get everybody on board just sounds insane. A podcast that I'm a fan of, uh, Revolutions, with Mike Duncan. You know, it was one of the seasons was detailing like this, just the sort of revolutionary period throughout South America, and the difficulty in drafting up constitutions for various nations. It sounds insane, but it's it's it also sounds fascinating to be living through something like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, and then the Chilean one, I think, is I think it's one one of the interesting things about it is that they set it up so that the um, the people on the on the constitutional convention, I think it was um, it, there was a there was a rule about gender parity, so there's equal numbers of men and women. Oh, yeah, as delegates. Yeah, yeah. Wow, pretty great. Okay, oh, a first in world history for Chile. I hope they pull it off, man. That's great. Well. The other thing, of course, I'm going to ask you is to please tell me a little about your relationship with Fugazi and how you got into them, if you ever got to see them live, etc. Yeah, I've been a Fugazi fan for a long time. I'm, I think I'm, I'm last count, I'm 47. I think I, I, I first <laughs> became aware of them when I was like, when I was about 16. Yeah, I could say I've been a fan for over 30 years, I think. 
and um, yeah, it was at school. I was in the I was in the last couple of years at school, and back in those days, I, I yeah, we had CDs, but there was still quite a lot of tape trading, and I can't remember exactly how I first heard them, but I did go to I went to see them once at the Newcastle Riverside. I think it was in 1991, and it's probably still. Still, maybe my favourite gig. I mean, it's the it's the one that I really remember. I was really struck by the way they got the they asked the people to turn off the house lights, and they just have they just played the whole gig under the, the sort of strip lights, just the sort of emergency light. I don't know if it was emergency lighting, but just the sort of regular lights. It was band policy, though. I mean, I think they probably most of their gigs were like that. But I hadn't seen anything else like that. I think it was the only time. Yeah, there, there was another time I wanted to see them, and I could have seen them. I was in London. And um, but I was I, I'd agreed to go to a gig with a friend, and it was um, it was a toss up between that and seeing um, the Oyster Band, <laughs> and 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 in the end, I think uh, I think we flipped a coin in the end, and and the Oyster Band won, so we didn't get to see that yeah, time. The Oyster Band? What? Are, I've never heard of the Oyster Band. What is this? They're uh, they're a sort of folk rock band. I think they're from the, they're from the UK. They're they're very good. I mean, it's worth listening to. If you haven't All right. Heard them. Uh, sort of yeah. rabble rousing folk music, fairly lots of good foot, sort of foot stomping cool. <laughs> songs. Yeah, yeah. I can, worth listening to. Yeah, I can go for that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's just funny if, if to someone who's never heard of the Oyster Band before, that's it. Sounds just the name of it is like. Uh, <laughs> you, they have their fans as well. I mean, I've, yeah. I've known who who pretty much tried to go visit. Oyster Band, every gig they played on certain tours, like they have certain fairly hardcore fans. <laughs> I'm gonna look them up after we talk, watch some videos, listen to some jams. But I think, in my heart of hearts, I would have rather seen Fugazi, to be honest. So, um, steady diet, the uh, I guess you might call it the eponymous track uh, from the album Steady Diet of Nothing. It is, of course, an instrumental tune and. You know, I can't believe we're here, but uh, Alex, you have the uh, privileged position of helping me close out a Steady Diet of Nothing. This is the last episode that I'll do about a song from Steady Diet of Nothing, and it's the first time I'm closing out an album. Uh, if, you, if you don't count EPs, we've done all the songs from Furniture and from Margin Walker, actually. But uh, yeah, this is the first time closing out an album, so uh, big deal. It feels like I'm getting near the end. I feel like since we're at this point and it's it's the last time really delving into Steady Diet of Nothing, it might be a good time to talk about the album cover. I have a little information about this. So the cover of Steady Diet of Nothing. I mean, do you have do you have any thoughts on this? Well, it was always slightly mysterious to me, the yeah. cover. I mean, I, I found it interesting, but really no. Um it wasn't particularly clear why that photo was chosen but that doesn't mean it's bad it was it's all sort of interesting it was always sort of intriguing it is isn't it so yeah you have this like sort of young looking boy like uh i don't know what would you say 11 something like that and he's uh it, it's this very it's a grainy photograph it's all yellow tinged i don't know if sepia is the right word in this case there's not much natural in the photo, you know, it's, there's metal glass, some graffiti, yeah. uh, to the upper right of where he's standing. Um, he seems to be wearing a, like a heavy coat. So clearly it's winter. 
Apparently by Lucy Capehart, who I believe is a, a fairly well-established photographer. Oh, well, actually, this photo was taken by Adam Cohen. Oh, was it? Yeah. Ah, Adam, ah okay, maybe. I, I read information because it says in the sleeve photos by Lucy Capehart. Oh, maybe <clears> it's um, maybe like the other photos that were used in the liner notes. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, for the cover maybe. shot... Uh, and if the name Cohen sounds familiar to Fugazi fans, he is, in fact, Jem Cohen's brother. And oh, okay. I have a quote from Guy um, that our fr- friend of the podcast, Jared Coffin, shared to the the Fugazi Appreciation um, Group Society. I forget what it's called nowadays. They they changed the name. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Guy, uh, he asked Guy about this and, and Guy emailed him. I, I'm quoting here about uh, Adam Cohen. Quote, he's an amazing photographer in his own right, and he had done a series of remarkable portraits of people in the NY subway system around the time we made the album. We were looking at the series, and this shot jumped out at us. We don't know who the kid is in the photograph, but we loved the image and felt that it matched the feeling of the album, so we used it. End quote. So there you go. There's not much of a mystery to be unraveled about who he is or, or what it means or anything. It's just basically a photo that the band liked. But, you know, something that I I found myself thinking as I sat down to just meditate on the album cover for a little while is it really reminds me of the film The 400 Blows. I don't know if you've seen this one, Alex? Nope, I haven't seen that. It's a French film by Francois Truffaut. And, it, like, the... The protagonist of the film is this adolescent boy who looks like he could be exactly the same age as the person in this photo. Um, and yeah, I mean, not not to get too much into it, but the, the other thing about it is if you look up images of the 400 blows, I think a shot that's often used as like the poster for it, at least for the uh, Criterion Collection release is the main character of the film sort of looking out of this this grating. It's um, it's just sort of a metal crisscross grating, and he's either looking out or putting his hand through it. Um, and it's quite similar to what we see in the photograph that's on the cover of Steady Diet of Nothing. Guy didn't say anything about that, but I mean, I know that he and other people in Fugazi are big film buffs, so I wouldn't be surprised if it struck a chord somewhere with them. Oh, interesting. So uh, there you go. I'm throwing that out there to the listeners. Uh, listeners, report back if you agree with me or not that this is that it's a very it's a very the four hundred blows uh, type image. I suppose the other the other thing that concerns that, that that occurs to me of looking at it now is that it's got lots of um well it's got it it's got lots of straight lines in it like the sort of grid of tiled squares the the sort of heavy lines of whatever whatever corner the kid's crossing or doorway he's going through it's and 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 the actual you don't see much of the kid himself so it sort of does give the idea of something that's fairly bleak constrained sort of and the straight lines uh, are all a little bit tilted right they're just a little bit uh askew they're not straight up and down and straight left and right um i guess just the way that the the photograph was framed or something like that so it gives it a little bit more visual interest in that respect. Another thing that might be good to talk about before, you know, talking about the the instrumental track itself is the title of the album, uh, Steady Diet of Nothing. And I had heard that 
This was an allusion to a Bill Hicks quote, uh, American Texan stand-up comedian, Bill Hicks. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, beep, 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 beep. This is Ian Wright breaking in to just let you know that uh, Bill Hicks has nothing to do, in fact, with the title Steady Diet or Steady Diet of Nothing. Um, I have this information from Ian Mackay himself, so I'll leave this part where I speculate about that in the episode, because why not? Um, but just, uh, yeah, keep in mind, it, it, it's all nonsense, and uh, my bad for leading us down a rabbit hole that isn't necessarily true. Okay, back to the episode. I, it had never been clear to me what exactly the quote was, and uh, again, I headed over to the aforementioned, uh, this is not a Fugazi appreciation group, and asked the people there, and uh, I forget who it was, but somebody found an answer for me. So uh, yeah. Bill Hicks had a uh, stand-up special called Revelations, and it sort of opens mm-hmm. with this little voiceover, and he's riding on a horse, and I'll I'll go ahead and, and just quote this intro he does this intro voiceover and like ask yourself how it tracks with fugazi as i read it uh and and this is where the steady diet thing comes in so on december 16th 1961 the world turned upside down and inside out and i was born screaming in america it was the end of the american dream just before we lost our innocence irrevocably and the tvi brought the horror of our lives into our homes for all to see I was told when I grew up I could be anything I wanted, a fireman, a policeman, a doctor, even the president, it seemed, and for the first time in the history of mankind, something new called an astronaut. But like many kids growing up on a steady diet of westerns, I always wanted to be the cowboy hero, that lone voice in the wilderness fighting corruption and evil wherever I found it, and standing up for freedom, truth, and justice. And in my heart of hearts, I still track the remnants of that dream wherever I go, on my never-ending ride into the setting sun. End quote. What do you think? A, mm-hmm. bit, a bit reminiscent of the uh, of the Fugazi ethos? I think, uh, yeah, I, I read it before because I was also intrigued about what quote that was that came from. And yeah, it, it's um, it, it seems reasonably consistent with what you, um, I think, what you discussed in the in the program on, on Polish, because I, from listening to that, I, I gathered that, that the, um, the song that ended up being called Polish was originally going to be called steady diet or steady diet of nothing. Yes. That's my understanding too. Isn't that right? And, and that one had a, had a lot in it about TV and, um, the, the perhaps not very positive impact that lots of TV has on people. Yeah. And Yeah, there there are a couple of commentaries on TV because I think first of all it's you know it's 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 sort of leading um, maybe leading kids a little bit astray like with the idea that they can be a cowboy hero or or like just giving them sort of empty fantasies and there's also the commentary um, and and I'm, I'm pretty sure that Bill Hicks is referring to. You know, it was the end of the American dream just before we lost our innocence and the TVI brought the horror of our lives into our homes, etc. Um, probably referring to the Kennedy assassination, um, which is just sort of like a very memorable, I think, uh, American moment that people witnessed on TV. You know, like not only that, but also the, the you know, the Jack Ruby um, incident. So, yeah, I think it was like it's just sort of a traumatic moment for the United States of America that was associated with television. 
the only other detail I wanted to mention off the bat was uh, it, it was one of their more rarely played songs. And not only was it kind of rare, but it seems like the last time they ever played it was in September of 1995. So it really only had a few years in the spotlight. And um, yeah, I, I do like to see Fugazi playing a, a song, like a, a video of them playing whatever song I'm talking about. But yeah, after searching around for a little while, I could not find a video of them playing this. So if anyone has a uh, a hot tip about that, I'd be interested to see it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but but all that aside, um, let's talk about the music. So, Alex, what do you want to say about Steady Diet? It's a it's an enjoyable instrumental. It's it, it's quite um varied. It's got. 10 or so different sections in it it starts off fairly um it starts off fairly quiet with a nice sort of rhythmic jam at the beginning um it gets it gets more dynamic as it heads towards the middle of the song and then towards the end there's a sort of well i should say in the second half of the song there's a sort of <laughs> impressive caterwauling guitar sort of screeching solo which goes on for like two minutes or so um all in all, it's yeah, it's enjoyable to listen to. I like it. It's fairly, um, it's consistent with the rest of the album, Steady Diet of Nothing. I, I understand that it was used as, um, well, it, it's a sort of centerpiece in a way. It's like having it's the middle track on the album, and I, I understand that it was on the vinyl edition. It was the end of side A and the beginning of side B. They sort of split it across two sides. Yeah, right. That is that is something that I had read. I think um, somebody in the comments on the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook page said that, and I did not realize that. I don't own Steady Diet of Nothing on vinyl, actually. Um, oh, I, I don't either. I hadn't realized that. But yeah, I, I was interested to read it. Uh, it was Dallin McDougall who said that. He said, this is hands down my favorite Fugazi instrumental. I could go on and on about why I love it. Instead, I'll comment about sequencing. People discuss how great Fugazi are at sequencing their albums, and this is one of my favorite examples. Gee, Ian, Gee, Ian, Gee, then Steady Diet smack in the middle. Literally, on the vinyl, the song is split down the middle, ending side one and beginning side two. Then they flip it or continue it, depending on your point of view, and go Ian, Gee, Ian, Gee, Ian. For some reason, I love that. Um, so yeah, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fascinating to me. Uh, I <laughs> I think now that might be a good enough reason for me to finally go and buy Steady Diet on vinyl. I might do it. <laughs> um, the other the other interesting thing I noticed about this track is that when they did play live, and I, and I would like to slightly disagree with you in what you said about the number of times they played it, because thank you, by the way, for sharing the, the data that you shared from the Fugazi Live series. Um, I see that they played it something like 47 times. Yes. Which, 46 times. Which which might not seem a lot compared to their most played songs, but if you actually order the list of songs that they played live, there's like 120 or so. No, there's more. There's 150, 158 from what I could see. The problem with that is if you just order uh, that raw data that way, I think what you'll find uh, as like some of the least frequently played stuff are things like just like. If, things like interludes tracks with various weird little names like you know encore one encore four blah 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 um 
So if you filter out all that stuff, it's it's really more like less than a hundred tracks. Really? Okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe I need to spend a bit more time with the data, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I did I did filter out the intros and I filtered out the interludes huh. from the list that I'm looking at, but I see that still a couple of things like what you mentioned, like there's encores, there's yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So maybe it's maybe it's on the low side. Yeah, I mean. Hey, forty-six plays is not nothing. I mean, <laughs> for for a lot of bands, they don't even play that many shows. Yeah, uh, as as you say, it's um it's a cool structure, and it makes me wonder. Uh, Dallin didn't elaborate on this, but it makes me wonder where they break it in two on the vinyl. So um, I'm I'm very curious about that now. Um, but yeah, I like how it's I like how it starts with the uh, drum clicks and. It's always nice to hear the voice of Brendan Canty saying one, two, three, four. That's a nice little Easter egg to hear in the occasional song. Listening to live versions of this, I think they often used it as their as their set opener. And um, they seem to shorten it quite a lot compared to the recorded version. They seem to shorten it by about a third. <laughs> so I think and I think the part that they that gets cut off is the is the catawalling guitar solo that goes on for like a minute and a half or so they seem to reduce that to a minimum when they play live <laughs> or at least in recordings that i listen to yeah i wonder if they want to uh ease the audience into it a little bit not quite go all out with that it's it's um the caterwauling guitar a little reminiscent of maybe glue man to me and something they've said about glue man is you know almost always reserved for a closer because there's really nowhere to go after that you can't you sort of can't top it so uh, maybe that's why they gave uh, a little bit of a neutered version of steady diet for an opener yeah it sounds so tense and it's so prolonged that solo i i also imagine it must be a bit wearing to play time and time again sometimes i think of the logistics of these things and uh, yeah, just in terms of physicality, and I think you may be right about that. I think the the way it opens is a little bit misleading. It's 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 a bit of a fake out how it opens with these sort of power chords. They they set sort of a serene tone to me. It's cool how Brendan gives little one two three rim clicks along with those power chords, and. Of course, Brendan gives us a little drum build-up to take us into the, I guess, main theme of the song. Something there's something about the song that makes me makes me imagine flying. It, it's almost like something starts off very, like I can sort of imagine like running, like paragliding or something, where you sort of run along to start with, launch, <laughs> up in the air, <laughs> sort of gliding around for ages, and then come down and crash. Because it sort of, to some extent, it's sort of it has a bumpy end and <laughs> i can imagine that especially the opening strikes me as a little bit cinematic and i can i can imagine like taking a hang glider up to the top of a mountain and those those opening chords accompany your sort of view of the of the chilean vista maybe for instance yeah <laughs> yeah a very prominent hi-hat maybe not atypical of the rest of steady diet of nothing but it, it does jump out at me a little bit that he's sort of keeping time um and that hi-hat is really sort of standing out as the uh, I, I guess i would say the bass takes center stage while the guitars sort of pluck away at these at these little mm-hmm. sort of rhythmic figures i do like also the 
we have a trademark Fugazi moment of silence after, you know, a few bars of that, and then a little bass pickup. Du-du-du. Gotta love the Fugazi moment of silence. It makes yeah. me makes me feel at home a little bit. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that most called my attention about Fugazi when I first heard them. Like, I hadn't heard other bands do that. And it really, the, the way they make use of um, some very loud periods in their songs and some in very, very quiet or, or literally silent periods was very striking. We certainly get that. As you say, this song takes you on a little bit of a journey. In the beginning, there's that, uh, I guess I would say a sort of major tonality, something uplifting about it. And then there's a little, a little bit of a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call the, the quote unquote verse sinister exactly. Um, but, uh, the, the loud part after that certainly is to me. I keep picturing this and a lot of instrumentals in terms of like, uh, as a score to a film and it, it sounds like, it sounds like something, uh, sounds like our main character is encountering some kind of danger in that part to me. Yeah, I, I I tried I tried using that that trick, sort of imagining if this were the soundtrack to a film, what it what it, would it be a soundtrack to? Like, what would be going on? Because yeah, because I, I don't have much of a I've, I've got virtually zero musical education or musical ability, so I needed to try and find some way of getting my head around what could be said about this. That's actually something I used to do uh, as a creative writing and English teacher is. Every, just as a just as a writing exercise once in a while i would play some sort of instrumental track from an interesting band mm-hmm. and uh just the assignment is to you know describe what's happening in your mind's eye as this instrumental track plays if you're into creative writing it might be a good way to like uh i don't know spur some interesting ideas is uh put on an instrumental whether it be fugazi or not and write about what's happening in your imagination I suppose the other the other thing that calls my attention about about this song is that, and and perhaps this is why this is one of the reasons why maybe it's an instrumental is that it they're sort of free of the the sort of song structure that you would normally expect of a song that's got verse chorus verse. The structure of this one is completely different. It's got some sections that are completely different from the previous ones, but presumably there's a sort of underlying rhythm track that stays similar. Yeah, that's true. I think there are some basic ideas that maybe are returned to but you're right they don't go back to repeat um a previous idea entirely in a in a verse chorus verse kind of way i don't think in, in the first part of the song i think there's a there's a bit of there's a there's a couple of bits which repeat a few times but not much yeah and then yeah and there's definitely two halves and this perhaps goes back to how they split it on the vinyl version because it's probably more or less half and half the part previous to the Catawolin guitar solo and the part with the Catawolin guitar solo. It's hard to imagine them starting side two in the middle of that uh, guitar craziness. So yes, I I would imagine they would sort of l- jump in maybe at one of those moments of silence uh, before the bass picks it up. I feel like I'm failing our listeners and that neither of us have listened to this uh, this vinyl version, but <laughs> it's I yeah, I guess I'm just going to have to encourage uh, everybody to contribute to discord by getting their own copy on vinyl right yeah i don't have anything to play it on unfortunately but yeah it's tempting i wonder if uh, the cassette tape was the same way but uh yeah that that up and down 
just sort of screaming freight train guitar uh, is is certainly. I mean, I f- I feel like that's the kind of thing where also you you know you're listening to Fugazi or maybe Sonic Youth if you had never heard this track before and just got dropped into it. It's certainly something that makes it different. It's probably recognizably different from other tracks in their catalog because of that. The dissolve into chaos at the end, like it's it's sort of very loud and chaotic indeed, and I feel like in a lot of other songs like this where Fugazi wanted to reach a kind of apex of chaos they would have gone for feedback but here they don't do that and they sort of bring it down in a different way and that way is pretty much chaos right it's like they sort of purposely or i maybe it was an accident in the studio i don't know but they, <laughs> they sort of lose track with each other they get out of sync a little bit um the tempos disconnect with each other um and, and at some point joe is playing there's the there are these big weird like bass chords it kind of just sound like joe is bumping his bass into things this, this is this is after the bit where it starts I, I don't really know how to describe this i mean i i was listening to this and i tried trying to get my head around it i tried <laughs> doing a sort of drawing with a pen on a piece of paper sort of seismograph thing there's a bit at the end where it starts going <laughs> I'm probably not doing a very good impression of it, but it's a sort of up and down crashing thing with a guitar. And it's not chaos, though. It's like they do it in a controlled way about 10 times. And then at the end, it sort of fizzles out. And maybe that's the chaotic bit you're talking about, yeah. where it sort of goes lighter towards the end for a while. I think a lot of times uh, Fugazi likes playing with control and chaos, and but also control over chaos. I, I mean, I know there were happy accidents that happened live and in the studio. Um, but they always, yeah, they always really struck me as just being in control at all times. I wonder how many takes they did of it before arriving at the, the final version they put on the album. Whether it was the sort of thing where they just play it through once and that was it. I am always curious about that sort of thing. I wish I had some some sort of a Fugazi encyclopedia that would let me know uh, these things. But uh, yeah. alas, such a thing doesn't exist. I imagine, I always imagine something like this is it's probably just one or two takes. I mean, uh, they rehearsed pretty hard. Is that the impression you get? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I imagine it was few takes as well. because it's, But what you say about control makes me wonder, though. Because they, they, managed, to, they managed to keep up a sort of, some sort of intensity and urgency all the way through this. Yeah. And it, seemed, it sounds pretty intense all the way through. And it just seems to get intenser, if that's possible, as it goes along. And um, and the caterwauling guitar bit, I, I think, is, is is pretty remarkable in a way. And I and I wonder to what extent. I, I, it sounds like it might be to some degree spontaneous, but I wonder. That's the thing. Also, is this strikes me as the kind of of tune where if you don't nail it the first time, you might not get a really good take because it seems like it requires a lot of energy, especially on the part of of whoever it is that's doing the. The caterwauling guitar. I, I had. I think I had been assuming it was Guy, yeah. but I really don't know because I, I can't find a video of them doing it. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd assume that as well, but it's it's hard to say. Yeah. But but it is it is it's difficult to imagine them saying, "Well, I didn't like that one. Let's do it again and again and again." Yeah. It's, I mean that 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 would be. 
because how to maintain that that sort of intensity if you're doing the same thing again and again and again it sounds physically taxing for sure a couple of the couple of live recordings i listened to in some ways it sounds better live than it did on the record like there, there was there's one on um i found one from minneapolis 25th of may 1993 it just sounds excellent and they use the the cowbell i think brendan uses the cowbell in the first part of the song which you don't hear in the and also i think one of the guitarists is doing something slightly different at the beginning that sounds really good um but it's missing the catawalling guitar solo i mean that part they they cut short and is it's quite a lot shorter than the album version it's yeah. like a third shorter roughly but yeah it sounds really good i mean the very many times live but the times that they did it sounds as good and it was like a good show opener i think that's a good point at which to go to ratings um where i will ask you alex if you could rate steady diet the track on a scale of one to five stars in the grand scheme of all the fugazi tracks that are out there what do you think you would give this one yeah, I, I prefer not to rate tracks, and and particularly this one. I think it's I don't think it's particularly appropriate to rate it because it's it. I think it it was it was used specifically as a sort of centerpiece of this album. They probably recorded it, bearing in mind that they planned to split it across two sides of an album, and it, it's the sort of thing where it seems to me a little bit like rating part, rating part of a, a picture. It's like the, the the part by itself doesn't make much sense, but taken as part of the album, I think it I think it's an excellent album, and I would really recommend to anyone listening to this who hasn't heard the album to to listen listen to it. Alex, there's nobody listening to this who hasn't heard all Fugazi albums. The other thing I had to say about ratings, though, is that I am I'm intrigued about the possibility of being able to um, deduce implied ratings from this this live series data and that's something that i'm i'm inclined to give it a try yeah in future because i think there's probably ways of um using their choices of which songs to play and how many times they play the different songs to figure out more or less what what the implied ratings for all the songs would have been you mean uh um, you mean the how how much they liked the songs themselves well, well, I think it's maybe a little bit debatable what those ratings would mean because I think it would be a mix of how much band like the songs themselves, but presumably to some extent they're choosing songs that they know the crowd likes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because so presumably they, they did about a thousand shows, so I, I imagine that as live musicians, when you play a song, you get a feel for how positive the response of the audience is to that song, and presumably that, that plays a role in deciding what what tracks they play and what, what songs they play in the future. But it's, it's difficult to say, yeah, to what extent. I mean, but, but still, I, I think that there's, that's probably a fairly interesting um, exercise. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're very right that I think a track like this is maybe largely about just setting a, setting a mood for the album and kind of giving a a little way to close out side A and give an overture for side B. Um, but mm-hmm. but that said, I I do think about how I think it stacks up against other uh, Fugazi instrumentals. And uh, I guess for me, I would say it's on the low side. Maybe I like it more than version, but uh, but otherwise, I'm pretty much a, more of a fan of all the other Fugazi instrumentals. So I'll probably put Steady Diet at like a... Uh, a two-star rating for me. Of course, 
we come back to it again, but the mix, which which always is a bit of a problem for me uh, in steady diet. And uh, one final time, I must I apologize to my listeners who are huge fans of steady diet and don't understand why people complain about the mix. Uh, it must be torture to listen to a podcast uh, where the host is is like is one of those people who's you know kind of complains about that sort of thing. Uh, but I I can't help listening to a song like this and imagining. I mean, I could just hear in my head how it could be sounding with uh, just just sort of better recording and better production and and so on. So that's it's a bit of a stumbling block for me. And yeah, maybe maybe the way to go with this and a lot of other steady diet of nothing tracks is to listen to it live, get the full glory, except of course for in this case the part that they the parts that they cut off. Yeah, I suppose I'm one of the people who doesn't really understand that sort of comment because, yeah, maybe some of the albums sound better than others, but it still sounds perfectly clear. You can hear all the instruments. It's a, I, I find it's one of my, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I would say my favorite, but it's one of the ones that are really special to me out of the Fugazi catalog. I always really enjoy listening to it, can listen to it from start to finish. I'd say it's 100% recommendable all the way through. And um, and and just just to put in context a bit, my my remarks about the sound quality. I mean, there's some some other artists who have recorded on on um, <laughs> on, um, on on like Panasonic Ghetto Blasters and things, and they've recorded albums on that. They, I think, there's even a genre called lo-fi. Indeed, there is. And uh, and and some of it is very good, very enjoyable music. So I think it, I do think it's a little bit questionable the putting a lot of emphasis on the sound quality of recordings, particularly of punk bands or bands with a sort of ethos of, of do it yourself and making music to inspire people more than entertain people. Fair enough. I've been taken to task and I, I must say that the mountain goats, all hail West Texas is one of probably one of my all time favorite albums. And I was just recorded on exactly. a, a boombox. Exactly. And it, 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 yeah, I was thinking of, I was thinking of the mountain goats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And not just that one, like pretty much the first part of their very extensive discography was was recorded on a on a <laughs> on a fairly fairly um uh low tech recording equipment to such an extent that the tape the tape the wine of the motors has been referred to as being an additional instrument <laughs> in yeah. the music. I'm a big fan, but on the other hand, the mountain goats didn't have Brendan Canty. I want to hear that glorious drum production. Know what I mean? <laughs> That's true. I suppose it's also to do with maybe how you listen to your music. I mean, if you're if you're accustomed to listening to things on a very high quality sound system, then yeah, maybe this is an issue because you've invested a lot of money into making sure your music sounds perfect. I, I listen to my music on my smartphone on the speaker walking around the house most of the time. So I, really, I'm, I'm not paying that much attention to the sound quality. Yeah, I'm definitely not one of these audiophile home setup guys. That way lies madness. <laughs> if you ever if you ever read those like audiophile internet forums, it's just like completely insane the links that people will go to to try to uh wring the last 0.1% of quality out of their setup. And on the subject of ratings, sorry, I because uh... Just I, I feel that if I did it, I would probably be relating things to some extent to do with how much, 
how much pleasure or satisfaction or happiness the track's producing in me. And I think with Fugazi, that probably wasn't the point. And and this this brought to mind um, a quote from a Chumbawamba song. I don't know if you've heard the band Chumbawamba. <laughs> I know exactly one Chumbawamba song, and I bet you know which one it is. Yeah, I bet I bet I know which one it is. Yeah, but they've got they've got a varied and interesting discography as well. And there's a there's a quote from one of their early early songs which goes, "If our music makes you happy or content, it has failed. If our music entertains but doesn't inspire, it has failed." Mm-hmm. It's not a threat. Action and music inspires can be a threat. And I thought that was that that sort of pretty much sums up my objection to to rating for Gazi songs. Fair enough. Uh, well, I'll let you have the final word there. Thank you. <laughs> and let me let me give some other uh, words to our uh, you know other listeners on the alphabetical Fugazi Facebook page. Let's see. We have um, Jared Coffin says it's not a song I ever skip. It's great to drive to, like most of the instrumentals. Bradford Goodwin says the rhythm section is a revelation from Brendan's triple rim flams to the precision groove and dynamic shift into surf rock. When Ian and Gee ratchet up the noise two minutes in, it's hard not to imagine Ian puffing his cheeks out in his signature style. Meanwhile, Joe's <laughs> bass flourishes form perfect bookends, adding personality that's 100% in service of the song. And uh, Pat Golly says, This was the first song I ever saw Fugazi play live, and it didn't disappoint. I particularly love how the song is split in two on both the vinyl and cassette versions. Oh, there's an answer to our question right there. And he also says, Steady Diet, the album, gets a lot of unfair, in my opinion, flack due to the recording and mixing, but the sequencing is second to none. Steady Diet into Long Division into Runaway Return is some opening to side two. On a complete tangent, I sometimes imagine an alternate universe in which Fugazi recorded Steady Diet with Steve Albini instead of the aborted Killtaker demos and wonder what that would have sounded like. Yeah, I would love to hear that for sure. And the only other thing to do is ask you, Alex Mitrani, if you have any plugs, anything you would like to point out to our listeners, whether it's uh, some kind of project you have done or where to reach you, or just uh, something you think is interesting for them to check out. I I do plan to do some further work with this um, data from the Fugazi Live series. And as as I do that, I'm going to put it on... um, GitHub, I'm, I'm on GitHub as Alex Mitrani, or one word, and then the repository is called Repeater, but without the R-E-P-E-A-T-R. Hmm. And um, yeah, that, that might be interesting in future. It's not particularly interesting now because I've just started, but um, yeah, I think it'll be an interesting little project. Cool. I've never used GitHub, so if there's a direct link you can send me, please do. Just email that over and I'll put it in the show notes. Sure, I'll, I'll send you that link. As for me, listeners, as always, you can reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com. You can join that group on Facebook. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing Strange Light. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last